0: Today, I'm going to speak on a different take on how to please God. Now, I say a different take because this is an area that I think most of Christianity doesn't get it quite right. And it's not something that's like major, you know, you're going to go the wrong way in your life if you don't get this right, but you'll miss out on some of the joy in your life if you don't really understand this. And so, In order to explain this and really communicate it well, I got Anne to draw some cartoons that we're going to be going through and following along with the pictures. And what I'm going to do is to take an imaginary person called Joe, and you'll meet Joe in just a moment, and talk about Joe's story, and then what Joe discovers in the Bible, and then end up with how we can put this into practice in our lives. So let me introduce Joe to you. And Joe becomes a Christian and learns all his sins are forgiven. Does Joe look happy? happy. Joe is very happy, yes. Um, he's full of joy, his burden is light, his life is happy. Um, but then he starts reading the Bible and he finds all of these laws. And there's the Ten Commandments plus all of these laws in the Old Testament, and the church he goes to says that to please God he has to keep all of these laws. And um, every day he's got this list of things I've done, things I haven't. He goes through a checklist: Have I done this? Have I done this? I've done this. And his life is basically measures himself on this performance of the laws, and he's not happy at all. Um, he's told that the Holy Spirit will help him keep the laws, but That doesn't comfort him very much. And the law becomes a great burden to him that he's carrying around on his back all the time. Um, But then somebody explains to him, he hasn't quite got it right here because Jesus came to bring a new explanation of the law, that Jesus replaced Moses' law. Jesus said, Moses said to you, but I say to you. And so he's not under the law of Moses, he's under the law of Jesus. They explain this difference. And uh, so This this relieves him of all of this. He doesn't have to follow all of these Old Testament laws. He's under the law of Jesus. Now he understands. And for a while, he's happy again. But he starts reading all of Jesus' commands. And he realizes that Jesus' laws are far harder to keep than all of Moses'. So Moses said to you, do not kill. But Jesus said, what did Jesus say? Yeah? Love your enemy. Yeah, love your enemy. And if you, if you hate somebody in your heart, you've, mur- that's as bad as murdering them. He's, he said, Jesus, um, Jesus said, don't commit adultery. Moses said, if you look at somebody lustfully, then that's breaking that law. And so Moses' law was external. But Jesus took it into the heart as well, and it was far harder. Oh dear, this is tough for him. But then something new happens. He goes to a new church where they teach grace. And he explained to him the joy of grace. He's told that um, he's, not, it's, he's under grace, which means that nothing, can, nothing he does does makes God love him more or less. It's not about what he does. God's love is a free gift, not dependent on, on his performance. <coughs> he doesn't have to, to to keep more laws in order for God to love him. God's love is a gift. Does that sound good? Okay. <clears throat> and you're all thinking, well, yes, Andrew, where are you going to go with this? Because you're not done yet. Um, <clears throat> we've got 10 we're going through, and we're only at number six now. So, uh, so, <clears throat> What's the problem? Well, he's happy, he's relaxed, um, and, um, this church is a good, balanced church teaching grace. The, by the way, there is a, there's a kind of, you may see on, on the internet sometimes, there's a, an extreme grace movement that basically say everything that Jesus taught before he died was law. And that's all law, that's all gone. And so commands like love your enemies are not, they're part of law. And like, there can be, they can be like really extreme. And this wasn't like that. This was a kind of balanced grace church. Um, And he's, he's doing well for a while. But then he begins to get a little bit confused. Uh, He's, what, what should he be doing if there's nothing that needs to be done? Um, what about all those commands of Jesus? To do stuff, does he just ignore that? Should he try to love his enemies and try not to be lustful? Like, does that, what, what's the motivation? Because God loves him anyway. So it's kind of a little bit confused. A um, little bit uneasy. Um, he's told that now he's free to obey Jesus, motivated by love and not law. And this sounds reasonable. He's told, you know, you you should keep Jesus' commands, but do it because you love him, not because you have to do that to be saved. Is that right? Yeah, that's right. That's good. Um, And um, so he tries to do this. This relieves him. He's constantly reminding, I'm not doing this to earn God's love. I'm doing this because I love God. Um, And this is good teaching. And you're thinking yes Andrew but you've got two more slides to go. What's what's the problem? What's going to happen now? So he becomes a little bit uneasy. Can you tell me what might be a problem here that might make him uneasy? Well, he feels a vague sense of unease because um, he never feels that he's doing enough. He knows that it's all grace. It's a free gift. He's loved by the Father, but he just has got this vague feeling that he's disappointed God, that God's not happy with him. That Do any of you ever feel you're disappointing God? You know, if God was to look at you and give you an evaluation, you know, some workplaces, they give you a year evaluation, your performance. God was to do that. How would God rate your performance? You know, think, ah, I wouldn't score very well on my performance. Uh, Evaluation from God. And we feel this. And we feel, okay, there's grace, but, um, and Jesus, God loves me anyway, but, you know, he thinks I could do better. And um, he's disappointed. I'm not a Christian. I should be. Um, And, This is a problem in churches like ours that teach grace. That although we believe we're saved by grace and nothing you can do will make God love you more, yet this leaves us with this feeling, well, yeah, but what? Like, what should I, what's my motivation? What should I be doing here? And then finally, he's happy. One day he's reading Romans and Galatians and he discovered something which fits it all together. And I really, really want you to get this, which is why Anne has done all these drawings for us <laughs> to try and kind of grab your attention. And because uh, it's not actually very hard, it's not complicated, but it's it's like a, it's um, slightly different to how we normally take it. Suddenly, he got it. It was obvious. Why didn't he see it before? Well, this is what he read in the Bible. Um, and we've looked at his story. Now we're going to see what he's read in the he reads in the Bible, Romans chapter four. For what does the Scripture say? Abraham believed God, and it was counted to him as righteousness. It was counted as righteousness. And then, if we skip on to, to verse nine, it says, "Faith was counted to Abraham as righteousness." And then skip on to verse 20, uh, 22. That's why his faith was counted to him as righteousness. But the words, it was counted to him, were not written for his sake alone, but for ours, it will be counted to us who believe in him. Now, you'll notice the word counted there. It's, it's quite an important word. It's there several times, and it's a critical word in this passage. And also in other places, and I'm going to jump over to Galatians now. Galatians 3, six. just as Abraham believed God, and it was counted to him as righteousness. Now, um, I know quite a few here are in some sort of finance area, accounting or whatever. This is an accounting term. If you look at the Hebrew word that's used, it's a word that would be used for accounting. It's when you actually count it as it's written there on the line. So it's his, his faith is written there as it's, it's done. It's like it's, it's accounted that fills up the righteousness. Well, what does that mean? Because often, um, the way that things are taught in Christian circles is not quite like that. This is often how things are taught um, in Christian circles. Um, Abraham had faith, and on the basis of that faith, God transferred the righteousness of Christ to Abraham, and Abraham sinned to Christ, who paid for it on the cross, and they exchanged. That's often how we take it. Now, of course, it's absolutely vitally important that Jesus died for Abraham's sin, and and it's what's written there is absolutely important that um, it was a, f- a free gift. Christ's death did pay for Abraham's sin, and uh, uh, that that was that was uh, absolutely enabled God to save Abraham. And uh, <clears throat> this is the free gift. That we receive by faith, but that's not what this text is saying. Uh, what is this text saying? So, <clears throat> let's let's. I need to define some of the words here. The word faith here, uh, the word faith, is often misunderstood in our in our culture. I was um, I was chair. We're talking at the men's branch yesterday, and. I, I shared how I hate the expression "community of faith." You know, any kind of religious group is called a community of faith, even if they don't believe in faith at all. It completely works. They're called because faith is like this nebulous thing that describes some sort of religious stuff. And and so in our culture, faith has it has gone off into this kind of weird spiritual kind of thing. And the word trust is a better one. It's the same word in the Greek, is exactly the same word to trust. But trust is a much more concrete, tangible word because you have to trust something or somebody. And what Abraham did, he trusted God. He trusted God's word. He trusted God's command that when God told him to do something, that was something that is trustworthy. And so this is really, really important. And uh, so if we were to read it in that Context: We would read Abraham's trust was counted to him as righteousness. So that's the word trust. I want to define that. I want to define righteousness as well. And righteousness again is we can think of it being very very vague thing. But um, righteousness is behaving right according to a particular standard. And uh, the if I if I make an agreement with somebody. Say I need a babysitter, and I say, like, if you babysit these times, then I'll pay you this much. And this is when you need to show up, and you'll be working till then. And they keep their side of things, and I pay them what I promised. Then that is like an agreement. And if I, if they do their part and I do my part, that's the word used for righteousness in the Old Testament. It's, it's being part of an agreement, and uh, uh, <clears throat> that is why Paul spends the first three chapters of Romans, defining what's meant by righteousness, that for the Jews, they'd been given all the law, and so righteousness for them meant following the law. But what about all the Gentiles all over the world who hadn't been given the law? They had a conscience, and righteousness for them was following their conscience, which was given by God. And so they didn't have to like keep the Sabbath day or do all these feasts because that wasn't given to them. They are under a covenant which meant keeping the, um, the what the conscience told them. But still, they wouldn't you know they wouldn't kill or steal or whatever because the conscience wouldn't tell them that. So, so that's what a covenant is. So righteousness we can define as having met the obligations of the covenant. Now. Uh, let's let's put this into plug these two terms into the verse. Abraham's trust was counted as having met the requirements of the covenant. Now this is revolutionary, and uh, if you get this, uh, if you get this single thing I'm saying now, you'll have understood my message today. Uh, what did he mean by covenant? Well, Galatian in Galatians. Paul calls this a covenant of promise and said, really, it's the same covenant as we are under. Um, uh, what God said to Abraham is, I'm going to make an agreement with you. And the agreement is that I'm going to take you into this new land. I'm going to give you a, a, a son. And through the sun, you're going to have a whole, a whole um, people are going to be there. And I'm going to do this. And what did Abraham have to do? He had to trust him. As all Abraham had to do was to trust. That was Abraham's side of the agreement to trust, and that was counted as Abraham's bit. And God's bit was doing everything else. And and God uh, said, Abraham, you've trusted me. That's all I require of you. I'm pleased with you, and that was that was done. So how could God do that and overlook all of? Abraham's bad stuff he did, uh, and Abraham did do a lot of bad stuff in his life. We know that, um, and that is a problem. But Paul answers that in other places in Romans and Galatians, and says basically, um, Jesus died to cover Abraham's sin, and that was covered, and and but that enabled God to make this covenant, and this is really. Um, critical to understand Jesus severed him from the obligations of the law he didn't have to keep the law to be saved so God was free to make this agreement with him so let's just sum this up then um Jesus has met our legal obligations um to keep the law so that God can count our trust as all he requires um so that was the the requirement. Uh, so to sum up, what Joe discovers was he was loved by God, whatever, because of what Jesus had done. To please God day by day, all he had to do was to trust Him. That is what God is. That, that is what God is asking for. God was. I should say that's what God was asking for. Um, and it's not unimportant. That you obey Jesus' commands. I'll come on to that. But when Jesus was on this earth, what gave him the most pleasure? Can you remember what times did he just rejoice? What was it that gave him the most pleasure? When people simply trusted him. There was a, a centurion who said, um uh, he he said, you know, my 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 child is sick and and he, he said to Jesus, you don't need to come to my house. You can just say the word and they'll be healed. And Jesus said, wow, he said, I've not encountered such faith in all of Israel. What faith? And when Jesus saw people just trusting him, he was filled with joy. It was when people trusted what Jesus would do that he was filled with joy. That's when it gave him most pleasure. The Roman centurion who trusted Jesus' ability to heal his servant at a distance, and Matthew ten, eight ten. When Jesus heard this, he marvelled and said to those who followed him, "Truly I tell you, with no one in Israel have I found such faith." The woman who trusted Jesus for her daughter, Matthew fifteen, twenty eight. Then Jesus answered her, "O woman, great is your faith. Be done for you as you desire." And her daughter was healed instantly. And then there were little children who just simply trusted Jesus and ran to him, and he picked them up, and he said, you know, you have to become like little children. So what Jesus wanted most of all was to be trusted, because, and that was The requirement God gave to Abraham. Now, it wasn't good that Abraham um, took two wives. It wasn't good that Abraham lied about his own wife and said it was his sister. There are other times Abraham did bad stuff, but that did not, that didn't factor in to the covenant. It didn't, it didn't shake the promise that God had made. What God was interested in was the single question is, did he trust? So, the last bit of our Joe story, Joe remembered Hebrews 11:6, without trusting God, it is impossible to please Him. Romans 14:23, for whatever does not come from faith is sin. So, now Joe had an answer: an answer to his question, is God pleased with me? He's pleased with me when I simply trust Him. This is not a work because the very faith is a gift. So, you know, even uh, even our faith is weak and the man came to Jesus and Jesus said, do you believe? And he said, I believe, Lord, help my unbelief. And we often we say that, God, you know, I believe, but please help. And that's okay. That's okay. Tiniest, tiniest morsel of faith is is all it takes. So I'm going to come now to what this looks like on a Monday morning. Um, Before I do that, just to to recap a little bit. What Abraham was asked to do was to believe God's promise. And God's promise was, if you go to the land, I will look after you and care for you, and I will be with you, and uh, I will give you a great nation. So he actually... Uh, to trust God to do that, obviously you have to go to the land. He couldn't say, God, you know, I trust you about that. I'm sticking where I am in Ur of the Chaldees. But, you know, I trust you, what you say, you promise for me to go to the land. No. So there was was some behavior involved, but it was a behavior flowing out of the trust. Is that clear? So, So the critical thing here is that God counted trusting him as equivalent to his side of this agreement, this covenant. And this is exactly how it works for us because Abraham is the father of all who believe. He's, his, his life is a pant for us. And so essentially it comes down to this. If we trust Jesus as our Lord and our Savior, in other words, he's the one who tells us how to live our life and he's the one who takes away our sin and gives us new life, we trust him with that, then that is actually all God requires from us for salvation. And our salvation is, is complete when we trust that. But the day-to-day living, what please God, is God most of all is when we continue to live out of that trust. So it's not about whether I live a day without sinning, whether you know, I perform better, whether I evangelize more people or whatever. What God enjoys, what God loves, is when we trust him in many, many ways today. And... This sounds a bit abstract, so I'm going to, to uh, try and give you some examples in our mythical Joe figure. So Joe wakes up on Monday morning, and uh, we, uh, he forgot to set the alarm. So he wakes up, and he's slightly later than he should have been due to forgetting to set the alarm, and he realizes he's got several choices. He can either be late for work... Or he can call in sick, which would be lying, or he could skip breakfast and hopefully get there on time. Now, he realizes that if you lie, then obviously this isn't trusting God. So number two wouldn't be faith. Um, but he decides he could do either of the other two in trust. But he thought, well, you know, I'm going I'm to skip breakfast and just trust God I'll be okay, although normally I do need breakfast. And uh, so he, as he's waiting at the subway stop, he notices somebody selling um, bagels and coffee, and so he's actually able to get some breakfast anyway. But um, so he's trusted God that God would, would provide for him. And what God is pleased with is not whether he set the alarm or not. What God is much more interested in is his reaction to that and whether he kind of beats himself up or whether he's kind of um, just feels a failure or whether he says, God, God, I should, you know, I, I did miss up with setting the on, but I trust you that if I follow you, then you will work things out. And that's what God is pleased with when he trusts God. And, um, <clears throat> you know, I've said this before, but God seems to delight in giving me examples for the sermon as we're leading up to it. And today is no exception. And we had a bit of a, a disaster on the live stream with trying to get the sound working. We couldn't do anything, and Fidel got me to come and have a look, and I couldn't sort it out. And I'm thinking, oh no, is this going to work for the sermon? Is it working all right? Yeah, okay. So, and, I'm thinking, and I was kind, And then I thought, you know, oh, God is God is giving me example. What do I have to do? I just have to trust Him and say, God, this is Your message. Please, would you look after it? I'm going to give this to you. And take that weight off and give it to God. And that's sometimes the biggest challenge, but God loves it when we do this, that we just give things to him and say, I'm going to trust you. Now, this does mean behaving in a way that is ethical. You know, we can't do something unethical and then trust God, like calling in late, uh, saying we're sick. Um, But... We can trust him when we give it to him. So anyway, he arrives at work um, and uh, he, arri- he realizes that one of his co-workers is unhappy about something. And uh, he knows how easily they push each other's buttons and so um, he realizes that something bad could happen now. And uh, he knows that um, he should... He should show the love of Christ to his co-worker and that he should be doing that. But no matter how he, how he tries, it always seems to end in an argument this day. And so in the end, he says, God, I can't do this. I just have to trust you. This is just going nowhere. I just have to trust you. Um, Before every reply to his co-worker, he just sends a prayer up to God and says, God, just help me, Uh, a tiny prayer, I help you. Amazingly, he never actually loses his temper, and everything eventually calms down. And God uh, God, um, eventually feels God's pleasure that he simply trusted. And then later on that day, he gets called into his boss's office, and he gets chewed out. For something he didn't do and uh, he's uh, just upset about that um, and he tries the same method to trust God to love his boss he still gets chewed out but after the meeting he feels a failure at first but then realizes he did all that God required he simply trusted and God is still actually pleased with him even though it didn't seem it went well so trusting God doesn't mean things are going to go well sometimes we trust God and it still goes badly but that's not the point God wants us to trust him and he will look after any problems that come out of that he will look after that this is exactly the same as Jesus meant when he said come unto me all you who labor and are heavy laden and I will give you rest cast your burdens on me Put your burdens on him means to trust him and say, God, I'm going to give this to you. And God is really so pleased when we do this because of what he's saying about him. On his way home, his mind is on other things. He's not thought about God for a while. And he suddenly realizes that he's, he's thinking in immoral ways. And immediately he stops and asks for forgiveness. And then he trusts that God has forgiven him and... He's just He doesn't start beating himself up about where his thought life was going, but just thanks, God, you've forgiven me. Even though you hate sin, yet you're more, more concerned about my trust in you. And so he's able to just rejoice and be happy in what God has done for him. So um, I this is something we, each one of us is going to look different in our lives to the life of Joe. But unless you're perfect, you're going to have, and living in a perfect world, you're going to have times when you have to trust God. In fact, all the time you're going to have, trust, have to trust God. And this is what God wants, because this is actually our part of the covenant. Our part is trusting him. That is his requirement for us. And, uh, I would say that I'm just trying to sum this up now, uh, giving this, um, uh, some definitions. I would say it's an allegiance to God. It's like, I'm gonna, you are my God. I'm not going to give my allegiance to, to, to comfort or, or pleasure or whatever. My allegiance is to you. I'm going to put my, my trust in you and, uh, another word we could use, which is a little bit more vibrant, is the word abiding, which means living in Him. I'm living, I'm resting in Him, I'm dependent on Him. And, um, just like Abraham rested in this promise of a son. And, uh, another thing that goes with this is that it does, there is faith will lead to a level of obedience. Like I said, if, if Abraham trusted God about having a land, and uh, a people then that implied he actually went to the land and so there's a level of obedience which is the fruit of trust so the obedience is not where it starts but the obedience is what the trust grows into because if you trust somebody you'll trust what they say let me let me try and give you some examples of this um supposing um uh let me let me try and think of somebody who might who might be able to do this for me. Um, who who here would be able to to look after my investments? Who would would um, Bill would no? I'm not going to trust Bill. <laughs> All right, Vivian, I'm going to trust Vivian. All right. So, supposing I said I said um, Vivian, um, I'm going to to. to to trust you to look all after my investments, my my retirement, I'm going to just give that to you to do that. What does that say about Vivian? About my view of Vivian? That it, it's a high view, isn't it? Like I'm trusting with everything. So when you trust God, trust God, you're raising him up. You're, to trust somebody means you are lifting them up and saying this person is trustworthy. So the best possible thing I could say about somebody is I'm going to trust everything to them. And if I trust all that I have to Vivian, then I'm really, really praising her and lifting her up. And so I would say that trusting God is a huge statement of um, how much you you value that person. And it's the same on a a personal level, that um, if if you were to say to me... um, uh, which, which way's the washroom? And I said, Well, you go down there and down the stairs, and and then I saw you go up to someone else and say, Excuse me, can you tell me which way the washroom is? And I thought, Well, I've just told you. Didn't you trust me? I do think I'm so ignorant about this place that you have to ask somebody else. Have you ever had the experience that you ask you, somebody asks you for advice, and then you hear them asking someone else for the same advice? Like, <laughs> okay, so you know, okay, so my advice doesn't count, and so. Uh, what I'm trying to say here is the greatest praise we can bring to God is to trust Him. And this is why God loves our trust so much. I remember a few years ago, somebody said to me, Andrew, I know you would never abandon me. And I thought, wow, what a thing to say about me. That just felt so uplifting for my character that somebody would trust that I was like that. And so when we say to God, like, I know you'll never abandon me. I'm going to, I'm going to give my everything to you. That just lifts him up so high. And, um, uh, so I would say then, um, that it's partly it's obedience, but also it's persisting and trusting him. It's actually not giving up. Like Abraham didn't give up after 25 years of waiting for a child. He didn't give up. So my last slide here, um, God so loves it when you trust him. God so loves you when you trust him, um, and it brings him great pleasure. And if you're not a follower of Jesus today, then this is actually the gospel message, because Jesus said, follow me, and I will follow me. I'll lead you and give you inexpressible joy for eternity follow me i will look after everything i'll look after your guilt i'll look after everything but if you give yourself to me and and a follower of jesus is really somebody who trusts jesus and following is is um, what comes out of trusting him because you know you don't follow somebody you don't trust and so this really is the gospel message and so uh, i hope that that this truth has entered your heart today because if this truth has entered your heart, it will bring you joy and it it will it might be a it's not a like a massive switch, but it's a little tweak to the way that you relate to God, which is so important because, as I said, often we feel we're a failure, we've been failing God, we've been messing up, and we don't realize that God actually is much more interested in what we do when we fail, whether we just trust him and say, God, that was a mess I did. I'm so sorry, but I trust that you've forgiven me. I give this to you. And God is so pleased with that. He's much more interested in how we respond to these challenges in life than whether we do a perfect performance in our life. So I hope that uh, this 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 uh, topic can, you can really grasp in your heart what it means and you can live this out in moment by moment in your walk with God. So I'm going to ask the, the, the uh, worship team to come up now and I'm going to just lead us in prayer now, asking that God will help us with this. God, we thank you so much that you are not holding us to some great performance that we have to do to win your love. But all you're asking is for us to trust you. And Lord, we thank you for the story of Abraham and the many who came to Jesus and trusted him. And Lord, we do pray for each one of us here. Lord, we know what it means in our life. We'll understand what you're wanting from us. And this will lead us into just a rest as we give things to you. Just a rest as we trust you and we feel your love on us.